Hi, I'm Lori from HIS Talk. Welcome and thanks for joining us for today's webinar titled Rise of the Small First Letter Vendors. It's brought to you by HIS Talk. We have two speakers today. First up will be Vince Ciotti. Vince is the co-founder and principal at HIS Professionals where he consults with client hospitals on system selections, contract negotiations, and IT assessments. Joining Vince will be Frank Poggio. Frank is the founder and president of the Kelson Group where he focuses on ONC certifications and market and product strategy. With that, I'll turn it over to Vince. Thank you very much, Laurie, and thank you all for attending. <clears throat> Um, Frank and I are going to introduce each other for a little bit of a variety. So uh, I'm going to start by telling you a bit about Frank. <clears throat> he is the Kelzon Group, although it sounds pretty impressive, a group of one. Well, actually came from the University of Wisconsin Hospital, which is um, up near uh, Epic and Judy Faulkner. has some nice connections with her. I first met him as third bullet here, Health Microdata Systems, the first PC HIS a couple thousand years ago. They got bought by Citation, the big lab vendor, which got bought by Cerner. Frank's done some work as a consultant for Mediware and pharmacy as well. So guy knows the vendor side really well. <clears throat> so Frank, why don't you introduce me? Go ahead, hit the button. Well, Vince is uh, one of the founders of HIS Professionals, one of the leading firms uh, that uh, assist hospitals in vendor selection, IT issues, and so on. Uh, if you go back far enough, you'll find out he's a very old man and has spent years at Shared Medical Systems, McDonnell Douglas in marketing, uh, HIS, uh, the old uh, HIS company years ago, and Micro Health Systems, which was an interesting uh, organization many years ago that uh, actually started doing microcomputer things in hospitals before uh, before people thought microcomputers were serious. Uh, Done a lot of work in, with Medicare, and um, as the bottom of that slide says, he's waiting to move into the long-term care and mental health facilities, which someday will uh, get back at him. David? <laughs> All right, we're going to cover some fun stuff, we hope. The big news being the scene of health uh, and e-clinical works jumping into this industry. And we're going to talk a little bit about some of the technical underpinnings, is an interface or integration. Uh, some interesting comments on how this um, relates to what Judy did with Epic. Frank's going to go into some history lessons from the past. A lot of other vendors have tried this, and we'll go over some of their results. I'm going to talk about the application complexity. It sounds so simple, have a hospital system or a physician system, but wow, it sure isn't. <clears throat> we'll do a brief review of all the alternatives out there. A bit about size, how big the hospital practice is means a lot. Frank's going to cover some strategic issues, and uh, we're going to end up with a forecast, our guess about what's going on. But for you folks joining with your questions, we'll have a lot of them, and we may think of an answer or two. We'll see. So with that, let's start with the hot news, which is, uh, frankly, Athena Health. Uh, the truth is they did this last year, 2015. They bought a very tiny vendor called Razor Insights. Razor had about $2 million in business, about 20 critical access hospital clients. And they were cloud-based modern technology. Uh, pricing was only when you turned it on, which is very attractive to small hospitals' critical access. Whereas Athena is a monster, half a billion in revenue, ranked number ninth in ONC's attestations for 15,000 physicians, and uh, signed a pilot hospital already, Toledo Medical Center, which is big, 200 beds. So it's 
interesting deal. And then Frank pointed out this last bull. Frank, why don't you jump in about this uh, <clears throat> business yeah, deal? As part of the uh, movement into the uh, what I call the institutional side or the hospital side, coming from the uh, doctor ambulatory side, they acquired the intellectual property from BD uh, um, Brigham Women's Hospital uh, for their uh, AMC IDN Web OMR, which is all homegrown at uh, BIDMC. Uh, What's really interesting about this is they're taking the intellectual property and going to quote write their own code uh, to run obviously uh, up in their cloud. Uh, but this is a trick, if you will, or a, a strategy that uh, has been tried before back in the late 90s. Uh, Eclipse this, uh, which was started by Harvey Wilson. He bought the rights to the intellectual property of a similar product. I believe it came out of Partners. Um, and uh, uh, was going to uh, commercialize it and obviously sell it and so on and so forth. And uh, it never made it. Uh, unfortunately, what happens with these things uh, typically is uh, they get designed and written for one institution. And when you try to take it and make it multi-institutional portable, if you will, uh, that's really not a simple task. So it it, this will be an interesting thing to watch. Go ahead, Ben. Okay, and then eClinical says they're entering the HIS market. Curious, just Arl. They're pretty darn big too. I'm guessing about 400 million in revenue. That was from one of their, uh, <clears throat> I think their website. <clears throat> no uh, SEC forms to back it up, but it sounds believable. Frank third in ONC attestations with 40,000 physicians. And they were even sold through remarketers, so the 400 million could even be a, a low point. They've already got a pilot hospital excited title south out of South Carolina. And um, the wild thing is they claim 80 hospitals in India already are using their EHR, which, of course, in India, like most civilized countries except for the United States, there's a government-run, a national health program. There's no billing, no receivables, no RCM, revenue cycle management. So these 80 in the hospitals are purely EHR, and they, I think they're going to learn that the, the RCM side of hospitals is pretty complicated, a little different. Well, not only that, Vince, it's, uh, the R it definitely uh, there's a big difference, black and white, between an RCM system in the States versus uh, India, England, or anywhere else. Uh, but the simple fact of the matter is the way they run the hospitals in foreign countries, and I know this from my experience with uh, Citation many years ago, uh, the whole approach to patient care, not, not so much at the detail level, but at the way it's managed, uh, the way it's organized, the way the departments interact, if you will, uh, is very different than the state. Uh, the whole relationship with the physicians and, and the hospital are very different in the states than what you would see um, outside the United States. We'll get a little more into that later. So that's going to make it a little more problematic for them as well. Okay. Frank, why don't you talk about this technical uh, minutia? Yeah, uh, you know, when you when you try to bring a hospital system into a medical practice or a medical practice system into a hospital, there's a whole bunch of questions and issues that you need to deal with. Uh, not the least, the most obvious one is what is the hardware platform and 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 so on. Now, if obviously. Uh, you're going to develop from scratch on one side uh, from the other, then you're going to have the same platform and that will find it well and it helps simplify the process. Then you get into the question of programming languages, 
if you're doing this through acquisition, obviously there's going to be uh, all kinds of differences. Uh, you get into issues regarding databases, one product built on one, another product built on another. Uh, and then, of course, you get into the whole issue of uh, integration or interfaces or what's really going on under the covers. Uh, you know, are we simply moving data back and forth using HL7 or maybe hopefully in the, in the near term in a, using APIs, but then again, you're back into the technical questions of the product you acquired uh, may not uh, support APIs the same way you do. Um, and again, you're back into redoing uh, what needs to be done. Uh, Vince, you want to hit the button there? And then you get into the question of the patient data. Uh, you're going to share data or uh, centralized data, whatever approach you're going to take, and you have a whole host of elements, demographic elements, ones I have up there. Uh, and then you get into the question of clinical information. Uh, is all of that data to be shared, uh, or is only some of it going to be shared? Uh, and of course, to what depth with, within them? Uh, and then you get into questions like uh, uh, just differences between the way an institution operates versus a uh, physician's office uh, in terms of both tracking allergies and alerts. Uh, the, the alerts you use in an institution can be very different and obviously more complex uh, than the alerts you use in a physician's practice. So you get into all those kinds of issues which need to be sorted out. Uh, there's no way you take a hospital system and drop it in an office or an office system and drop it in a hospital. Vince? Good point. This is one more for you, Frank. Okay. Uh, you know, this word interface, integration, uh, interoperability uh, is, is thrown about uh, all over the place. And the question is, what is interoperability? What is integration? Particularly in this example between a hospital and a physician's office. Uh, you know, is it two EMRs with two RCMs linked on a sneaker net? You know, some vendors basically will tell you that's their, the way they do their integration, or is it two EMRs and two RCMs linked to, through, through some kind of interfaces, HL7 or whatever, uh, and on down the line? Uh, or you could have one EMR with two separate RCMs. I mean, when you get into, obviously, the world of, of ACOs, uh, accountable care organizations, which is one of the underlying reasons why vendors like Athena Health and eClinical e Works and, and, and Cerner and the rest of the world uh, want to have a more integrated single system. Uh, you know, when you get really down to it and push it, it's one EMR uh, plus one RCM generating one patient bill across the entire enterprise. Now that, in my definition, is true interoperability, true integration, and to be quite honest about it, it doesn't exist, uh, regardless of what any vendor says he or she does. And then, of course, the problem gets even more complex as the ACO grows. You know, what if you had 16 medical practices and three hospitals? Uh, you know, how much integration is there? There can be anything on this spectrum of my one through five uh, as the organization, the ACO grows. So. Uh, the whole issue of what is integrated mean, what is interoperability, is still wide open. Vince? Now, just briefly, this is a, a kind of a cute throwback to the foundation of Epic way back 30 years ago. Um, they started with physicians, and I'll give credit to Frank for this feeling more in the early 80s, early 90s, was mainly physicians. And I learned talking with Judy when I did my history episode, her, her husband is a physician, I think a pediatrician. 
And I got a feeling he gave her a tremendous insight into how a physician's mind works, how they view a chart, the format, the organization, the number of clicks, all that kind of stuff. And then, Frank, you pointed out their first hospital client was in the late 90s, Evanston Northwestern. Yeah, which is, uh, uh, they had, were having such success uh, in the physician's office, they decided to move into the institution. Uh, and you have to give Judy credit from the standpoint that she was the only vendor person uh, back in those ancient days that was willing to stick her neck out and say someday down the road, uh, the physician's practice in the hospital will quote merge. Um, and uh, she started down that road and you had big companies like, well, SMS, McAuto, et cetera, all the ones we're gonna talk about uh, that you know totally ignored this. And there were some real reasons why, we'll get into those later. But uh, the fact that she was ready to try to do this back in the, uh, say mid 90s was uh, really uh, uh, forward thinking. And of course, the large hospital and practice leaders, any large AMC or IDN that made a decision for the past five or 10 years has gone epic, about the only exception in Mountain Healthcare. They have over 800 hospitals, according to the ONC database, that have certified or attested part me for Epic is the primary EMR, over 100,000 physicians, the largest of any vendor, mainly due to these large IDNs that have hundreds of physicians attached to them. Uh, but the only loss recently of any note besides Intermountain Healthcare was the Department of Defense, which is purely, you know, what kind of lobbyist you join up with with Washington, D.C., and that's where SAIC leaders was a, a lot better choice on Cerner's part. And I give Judy credit down the bottom, they have the full suite of apps. All the financial and clinical systems, and uh, rather cutely named, but that's really where the granular detail becomes. Yeah, you have a financial system. How many of these applications do you have? It's staggering. We'll go into that a little bit later. Frank, you're going to go over some of the earlier vendors' attempts to cross this barrier from hospital to physicians. Yeah, the, the, his, the history here is really fascinating because this, as we started out saying, this is nothing new. Uh, the concept of of, of one record, one patient, which is actually the uh, slogan that Epic has used for years, uh, is has been tried. And you can go back to SMS, and uh, which obviously got acquired by Siemens over the years. They had a physician's practice tool called Signature, had pretty good functionality, had an interface, you know, of some data between uh, <clears throat> Signature and the uh, Envision products, MS4, and so on and so forth. Uh, of course as they were writing story and they promised integration uh, on the ambulatory side as well, but that somehow never happened. Uh, GE, which is, you know, ancient history in the uh, HIS EMR world, uh, basically uh, bought out a whole bunch of companies over the years. Uh, famous last word, which was an institutional system, uh, had the CareCast system. Then they bought up uh, the Millbrook uh, product, Metalogic, and a and a host of others tried to get it together, couldn't get them together. Uh, then you have HBOC, which was, you know, the, the historical vendor who uh, bought anything that moved in healthcare. Uh, practice point, practice partners, they bought Psycare, which was a monster. Uh, they were the leader at the time in physician practice systems uh, and tried to bring that in. Pegasus was another, uh, and so on. Uh, you have Cerna, which has tried VitalWorks, uh, all scripts uh, through Eclipsis and Telesis MedData, and it goes on and on and on. Uh, you got 
Meditech uh, tried it through LSS, and Vince will have more to say about that in a minute. Uh, McKesson, which uh, you know was the uh, successor to HBOC, uh, picked up per se Office Med Pfizer of Mars physician accounts manager, and there's, a, there's probably six more. Well, uh, I think it's uh, on March 9th of this year, just a few weeks ago, McKesson announced they're selling off their entire ambulatory product line to uh, eMed, which is a, a company that uh, was recently acquired by a bunch of private equity folks who are trying to, quote, now rebuild, if you will, reconstitute another uh, major player in the physician's market. So McKesson, who has uh, been in this for decades, finally is, in so many words, given it up. Uh, Medic, uh, which is a physician's office system, got involved with Mysis and all scripts down the road. Uh, and of course, now we, we also had NextGen, and Vince is going to uh, take us through the NextGen story. Yeah, it's kind of a cute thing. Um, sure, I remember a few years back, they were a leading physician practice vendor as Quality Systems Incorporated. Shelley Ray's informed them and uh, ranked fourth in LNC with almost 40,000 physician attestations. And they bought three systems. Opus was a very hot EMR designed by a CIO out of Baylor, Texas, I believe, about 40 EMR clients. And for a financial system, they bought Sphere, which was uh, Florian Weiland's very solid revenue cycle and ERP, about 80 clients. And they put those two together, made a product, and then about a year later bought Intranexus, which was odd. This is Rico Prize. HIS, had, he had uh, supported Allegra when uh, uh, SMS Sunset, adding 20 more hospital clients. So wow, in theory, you know, far bigger than Razor by, I'm sorry, uh, Athena by and Razor. And they tried to sell like crazy. Um, a lot of good salespeople, a lot of good proposals. Just sold a few critical access and bailed out last year. Sold it to Quadrant, who I'm assuming really wanted the client base, not the product. So. Giant vendors buy in, and boy, they can just uh, turn around and walk out in a year or two. So it's an interesting question, what's going to happen to our two friends here. Now I'm going to delve a little bit into the complexity, because again, <clears throat> a hospital system is so complex, there's just some high-level uh, dualities in financial systems, revenue cycle, and ERP, enterprise resource planning, what kids today say for general accounting. Down the bottom, clinical systems, uh, the EMR we all know about, of course, but nursing notes, assessments, plans of care, vital signs, INO, on and on it goes. And ancillaries, it's staggering. I mean, lab, pharmacy, radiology, rehab, OB, ED, on and on it goes. And just to pick a lab, just to drill down into one, that's uh, you know, a core lab, microbiology, uh, anatomic pathology, blood bank. There's probably five or six sub-applications within the lab. And, uh, you know, on the, on the surface, someone says, oh, we just bought an HIS. Think of the depth that one really has to buy to fill in all of these items. It's, it's staggering. On the physician side, equally complex, the duality here being up the top, red sketch and billing being practice management. And then down the bottom, the EMR component, similar to a hospital to some extent, but of course, as Frank said, very different kind of a chart that's kept in a physician practice than a hospital. And some of the large practices have ancillaries, not many, but some. So, boy, a vendor on the hospital side claims they just bought a physician system. Very granular answers have to be uh, come forth and opposite. So it's a very, very complicated market, to put it mildly. Yeah, I, think, I think one of the differences, uh, 
Well, go ahead, Vince. I want you to finish your slide there, and I'll jump in. Okay, down the bottom, so I think Jonathan and Garish, Garish is the uh, CEO of uh, eClinical Works. I think their teams will be surprised to learn how deep the other side is, just like those old vendors like SMS and McAuto were stunned to learn how complicated a physician practice is. Go ahead, Frank. Yeah, the, what people don't really appreciate is running a hospital, you are doing what's called custom work. Every time a patient comes in, stays with you for five, six, seven days, obviously there's a problem and, and you're trying to solve it. That's what you might call a custom job. Uh, it's like taking a special car into a mechanic and, and, he, and he's got to do some custom work. On the other side of the coin, the physician practice, for the most part, is a production situation. It's high turnover, high volume. That's how they make the money. They don't necessarily, quote, dig as deep, if you will. Uh, things tend to be more standardized, which makes it maybe a little simpler. Although the other thing about physicians' practices that people fail to factor in is that the way you run a physician practice, the workflows in a physician practice vary by specialty of physician practice. So uh, the tool that you create uh, for a primary care practice situation is not going to work well in an oncology setting or in a psych setting and so on and so forth. So go ahead, Vince. Good point. Uh, just to continue this complexity thing, um, <clears throat> how many vendors claim to offer these systems? Well, as of October, when ONC released its latest data, they have 180 vendors for a hospital EHR. And, of course, we track the top 10 uh, vendors by revenue for uh, HIS Talk. I've done it for several years now. We, that's 10. There's another 170 smaller vendors that claim that. And, Frank, will tell you, they've all certified. They really have EHRs. Uh, some only one or two clients, but some 10 or 20 hospitals. It's amazing. On the physician side, blow your mind, 785 different vendors <laughs> are certified as having a complete EHR for what they call EPs, uh, eligible providers. And if you don't believe us, call them, schedule demos. It'd be quite an impressive feat. And if that's too many, just think about it for a minute. There's almost a thousand demos altogether. Well, which vendors on the physician side should you take a look at? Here's a very simple answer. Save you physician practices attending a very a lot amount of work. Only pick those that have a small first letter name. And here are the 30. Out of the 785, I took the time and trouble to read through and cut and paste it. Here are the 30 vendors whose names begin with a small first letter. These should be the start of your selection process. Anybody with a capital first letter is not really qualified. This is where you should start your search. Yeah, my, my, my what, take on that is they use small letters to show that they have they do not have big egos. But then when you talk <laughs> to them, somehow the ego comes. <laughs> <laughs> now this is cute. Frank hasn't seen this slide, so my apologies, Frank. It is April Fool's Day, so I'm surprising you. You're old. You said I was old. I think you're almost as old, but not quite. I agree. I'm your senior. But do you remember what was the big deal in the 60s with three-letter acronyms? And what did they stand for? Now, this is an easy one. You know what IBM stands for, right? I can move. I can move. Okay, that's easy. How about DEC? Uh, I don't know the DEC one. Digital Equipment Corporation. And I'm not reading really I'm just an old man. You know SMS, Frank, of course. Shared medical systems, right. You got that one. How about TDS? Hexagon data system. Very good. SDK? Oh, uh, the guy's name. Um, Sam D. Kaufman. Right. <laughs> Not bad. Uh, that got bought by Eclipsis. How about DCC? 
Digital Corporation. No, Dynamic Control Corporation. Yeah, Not bad. Gotcha. SAI. Uh, Systems Associate Incorporated. Yeah, they were the authors of Synced. And uh, oh, an easy one. Oh, yeah. Hunting and Bearing and Owns. Tough Barrington and Owns. Very good. Oh, yes. This is my little firm in Brooklyn. Yeah, right. Health, healthcare information systems have made it easy. Uh, These guys are still running as MedHost. Yeah, uh, HMS, uh, Health Management System, but I forget. Very good. You got it. And the last one. Oh, uh, Dairyland? Dynamic Control Corporation. You already had them. Wait a minute. Wait. Oh, you're right. They're twice. Okay, here? you're right. Hey. Dairyland Computer Corporation, Frank. You I, got I me. Okay. A recount. You got it. But here's two you'll never guess. You will not know these. And they're from the 70s, and you won't know them. Don't know. How about you, Lori? You probably weren't born in the 70s, huh? I was, but I don't human... know. <laughs> <laughs> human this was hum human resource computing. Yeah. Remember what that was, Frank? Yeah, yeah. That was Judy Faulkner's Epic, her first name from 79 to about 80 before she came up with the name Epic. How about this one? Ah, PGI. Physicians. I'll give you a hint. If they'd have done it in the order of the seniority of the founders, it would have been PIG, but they were embarrassed by that, so they flipped it around. Patterson, Gorham, and Illig, the three founders of Cerner. There you go. Right. That was their official name. And you can see why they avoided the PIG acronym. So at any rate, this year we're into small first letters. In the 70s, we're into triple letter acronyms. Yeah, what's in the name? What does it matter? So Frank, this is yours. Yeah, so let's, let's go back and, and, and revisit re, uh, the fact that there's been dozens of companies coming at this uh, integrated single system uh, from the hospital side and coming over from the ambulatory side, and why has there been so many failures? Uh, <clears throat> basically, it, the approach was either to acquire something and shoehorn it in from the other side with a patchwork of, of interfaces, which uh, for the most part creates big problems. Uh, one of the biggest problems is you can't identify the correct patient. Uh, and, of course, then you have the whole bunch of issues we mentioned earlier about uh, whether you have the same database and programming language and architecture and platform and so on and so forth. They will come to play. So the vendors that tried to do this through acquisition uh, find out that they need to develop a whole bunch of things to get these two or three products to work together. So they try a little bit of that, and then finally they basically either don't give up and don't do anything, or they go back to the drawing boards and say, we're going to develop uh, the other side uh, from scratch. Uh, and those products, those projects uh, have typically failed for one or more of several reasons. The first of which is, as I mentioned a minute ago, it's different worlds. Physician practices function differently than hospitals. Uh, they, they go about their business in a different way. They have, to some degree, different objectives, keeping in mind that, uh, uh, you know, they're not, the objectives in terms of, of uh, patient care is generally the same, but the way you go about it is differently. Uh, they underestimate the complexity of the business logic. Uh, just on the RCM side, uh, the 
billing algorithms and what have you that you have to do for an institution go way beyond what a, a physician practice may have to deal with. Uh, another thing that's caused big problems is rapid development tools can very, be very misleading. Uh, you know, you got software, you got, you got hardware technology has been changing almost yearly, if not more so. Um, you have software technologies that have uh, expanded, if you will, brought in new tools um, almost on an annual basis, if not more so. So a developer starts developing using uh, tools, <clears throat> different tools, and then decides that there's better tools, and they start using these. Throw together some screens, throw together some quick databases. Uh, some The marketing people see this and think the product's almost done, uh, and they go out with a pro prototype uh, and start selling. Uh, and then, of course, they move it to a, a live setting and find out that the, the, what's been created uh, is crushed under the weight of reality uh, and essentially wind up having to go back and, and rewrite uh, the stuff that, in so many words, was thrown together with the fast and dirty development tools. Uh, you also have regulations on both sides of this coin that are changing in different directions. Uh, over those years, so you, you know, again, you're back to that situation where the, what you're doing on the ambulatory side may not fit the institutional, and when you think you got it done, the feds uh, change the rules on you. As I mentioned a little bit ago, there's different management approaches. Uh, the whole issue of a production environment versus a custom environment, and even more so, you have uh, different workflows. The way a physician works in his office is very different than the way a hospital works in delivering patient care. And even within those environments, uh, you have variation, acute care hospitals versus specialty hospitals versus rehabilitation, uh, brings in different kinds of workflows. Uh, and then on the physician ambulatory side, as I mentioned a little bit ago, uh, the way I run my oncology practice, the things I need to do are different uh, than in a psych setting or in a primary care setting and so on. And the software needs to be adaptable to all those situations because obviously if you try to put a primary care system in a psych situation, you're going to have some trouble. Uh, <clears throat> okay, I'm going to jump in here with a little bit of an example of what today's leading HIS vendors are offering for physicians. Biggest news impressed me the most, frankly, this year was just this summer, Meditech completed an integrated physician suite for both practice management and the EMR, and they released 6.1, which replaced the rotten old LSS Lake Superior systems that led to a lot of their clients. And they've already got about a dozen live and scores of early sales. So Meditech has finally bridged the gap in reality. This is all written in the same programming language, database, operating system, and hardware platform on both sides. So I think this is going to be uh, quite a, a shaker in, in the near future. McKesson did the same for the practice management portion of Paragon, but they haven't done an EMR yet. They had promised it for 2017, and I think it'll, if they can get it done, it'll be a massive boost for Paragon, which is an excellent hospital system. And uh, one of our clients recently checked out the practice management. It was very well done. But that EMR is their big gap that's left. Now, Allscripts, few people know this, and it's kind of surprising, but Allscripts was Eclipsis. And Eclipsis had written Sunrise. And it had a very nicely integrated practice management and physician clinical piece with the HIS. 
The problem is Allscripts has 50,000 physicians, probably 49,000 of which are on their enterprise, their large hospital system, or their smaller professional, which they bought from TouchWorks systems. Only a small number of their clients have implemented this integrated module, which is odd. I think if more people knew about it, they'd uh, be more interested. Cerner, of course, has developed totally integrated in the same Oracle database, but just less functionality, it seems, on the clinical and RCM side than on the hospital side, where the clinicals are just rock solid. Ooh, it's a leader. It's amazing. But the physicians, it doesn't seem to be quite as popular. Only 21,000 uh, attestations versus the leader, Judy's Epic. They're staggering. Um, 109,000 physicians have attested using the, their um, EMR. Only gap on the whole Epic array of products is the general accounting, the enterprise resource planning. Cerner partners with um, Oracle, the old uh, PeopleSoft, and you just a different partner. She just ignores that to date. Now, this is a fascinating graph. I built this thanks to the help of my partner, Elise Ames. Let me give her credit. She's up in the Massachusetts area, an expert in the ambulatory side. And she pointed out this ONC database, and I just mined it to come up with these two graphs. It's kind of complicated, but in the middle are the vendors listed in order of their annual revenue. And some of these are estimates down at the bottom, Greenway, Practice Fusion, for example. They're privately held, but we're just pegging them somewhere down there. And the top, of course, is Cerner, $4 billion this year, and then McKesson, $3 billion, Epic, $2 billion, et cetera. On the right is how many hospital EHRs uh, were um, listed on the ONC database for attestations. So Cerner had 931, but of course that includes Siemens. My guess is about 650 on Millennium, about 300 on uh, Sori and Envision. On the left, you'll see their physician wing is kind of small, only 20,000. McKesson, same thing, 400 hospital attestations on the right, tiny on the left. Here comes Epic. Judy Faulkner alone has two wings. The leader on the left side with 109,000 attestations and huge on the right side. Considering she has one product only, you might almost say they're the leader on the right side. Of course, all those 835 run the same system called Epicare, whereas Cerner has Millennium Community Works, Envision, Soaring, and Med Series, and they're 931. And then down in the middle, another huge green bar, Meditech, 946 physicians, I'm sorry, hospitals, um, on the three Meditech products, the Magic, Client, Server, and Release 6. So they're also fractured, something like the Cerner ones. And then slide down a bit to evident the old CPSI. That is truly one product, 445 hospitals, all on the same, called Thrive. But notice a handful of physicians, almost nothing on the physician side. So eClinical Works in the middle there has quite a challenge to build up a right wing that looks like their left wing. And uh, this is an interesting graph, and again, mainly from ONC attestation, so pretty, uh, pretty uh, realistic. A little bit about size, not only are hospitals complicated in depth, but just their outright size. We usually break them into three pieces, the giants or the 300 beds and up, AMCs and IDNs. And that's where Epic, Cerner, Allscripts kind of rule the world. Mid-size, one to 300 beds, the leaders are Meditech and Paragon. Uh, and in the small size, under 100 beds, the leaders are the old CPSI and Healthland, now one company called Evident, the old HMS now called Medhost. And Cerner's making great strides with their community works, a shared database. Uh, very popular in critical access hospitals, and they're starting to upsize it to 100 bettors. 
Physician practices, same thing. And again, thanks to Elisa's help, here's some of the leaders. For large physician practices, Epic, of course, Oscar's Enterprise, not their professional, the Enterprise. And uh, here's where Athena finally pops up and McKesson's practice partners. Mid-size, first CE clinical works pop up, Athena, again, Greenway, GE, other vendors. And small physician practice under 10, this is where you get, uh, you know, a whole different array of products. Oscar Professional, NextGen's MediTouch, uh, McKesson's MediSoft and Litex. So, boy, um, to say you have one solution for both sides of this is uh, stretching it a bit. It's almost like um, that's why these vendors have so many different products. And then imagine mixing a small hustle with a large practice a small practice with a large hospital, and it can really get to be a headache. There's no simple solution. These are very, very complex decisions prospects have to make. And Frank, you can talk a little bit about some of the uh, strategic issues. Yeah, if you're evaluating uh, systems and uh, you know want to uh, get a product which essentially uh, cuts both ways, if you will, there's some strategic issues that you need to deal with at first. And the first one is, Assuming you're an ACO, which is why you want to do this, you may be a little ACO or a big ACO, it doesn't matter. Are you structured as a loose ACO? Is it a collaborative ACO? Is this hierarchical in structure? Uh, is there a corporate structures? Uh, are the physicians in this situation your employees or are they not? Because there's obviously going to be all kinds of issues regarding uh, what you do for one versus the other, how you integrate and so on and so forth. So. Uh, you know, your, your organizational structure will have a lot to do with how much integration politically you can uh, get to happen uh, as well as politically that or technically that you need. Uh, you got to look at the mix of specialties and special care services that might be part of the ACO. Uh, what are your business and market priorities? Uh, are you getting competition from other outside providers, uh, particularly retail? And then, of course, uh, what are the regulatory vulnerabilities of this ACO as it relates to meaningful use, RACs, uh, value-based purchasing, bundled payments, and so on and so forth, uh, and, and where and how you need to bring this stuff together to survive those regulatory vulnerabilities. Uh, next slide, Ben. And some selection criteria, Frank. Yeah. Uh, you know, one of the things that uh, you go back to the Athena and the eClinical Works where we started this, uh, obviously both of these companies are going to be, quote, in a development mode, uh, and they're going to be looking for beta sites. Uh, they're going to need beta sites. So if you're interested in working with one of those vendors or any vendor on, in that level, uh, there's some very, very critical contractual kinds of items that you need to make make sure that you get uh, in writing. I've seen more uh, uh, hospitals and practices get burned by beta arrangements when things don't go right. So number one, product definition is extremely important. What are the deliverables? When are they supposed to be delivered? Uh, how much time and effort as are you as a beta side have to put into this? Because there will be taxing times on your employees' efforts uh, as well as perhaps other costs that you need to bear. So you need to make sure you get all that laid out. And most importantly, and the thing that's overlooked usually in a beta contract, is how do you get out of it when things don't go right? Uh, what can you do? What are your responsibilities? What are your financial commitments, so to speak? And how do you end a beta agreement when uh, things just don't fly right? 
then other questions that you're going to need to look at is the status of your core systems, what's your practice mix? Are you going to do this big bang for all the practices or phased approach? Uh, do you have any unique outliers and, and will you bring them in or not? And then lastly, uh, we've been spending the morning here, the last 45 minutes, talking about integrating physician practice and, and uh, acute care hospitals so much. But if you're a true ACO, uh, you're going to be dealing at long-term care, uh, post-acute care, behavioral specialties, outreach programs, et cetera. Where and when do these fit in? You know, what is your strategy for those? You can't ignore them. You may not be able to deal with them directly today, but you need to at least think about them at this point. Vince? And some of my suggestions for uh, how to select the system will heavily involve physicians. Most hospitals have a CMI or a practice a physician champion, and a practice should have similar. And they got to be heavily involved in the selection committee. This is not just an executive decision or IT decision or even just a hospital user department. You've got to have the docs uh, vote and take a look and tell you what they think. Uh, we start early giving them a view of the systems, but at the very end, instead of picking a single vendor of choice, you always recommend pick two, two semifinalists. So you have some negotiating power in the negotiations. And for them, we have them do a physician fair. Have those two finalist vendors send in their token physicians. And if a vendor hasn't got a physician to send, I'd be pretty scared. If they only have a nurse, and I don't mean only, I mean that's a... Um, not to be in a disparaging term, it's simply different. Nurses have a different world than physicians have. If they haven't got a physician to send, I'd be nervous at who's designed and who's going to implement their system. They send a physician and they give one-on-one -on -one demos to your medical staff. No screens with PowerPoints. Let me type and see how many clicks I got to get and what the alerts look like and how fast the system is, et cetera. And we've actually come up with a real simple score sheet where they can fill out how they rate the systems order entry, the results reporting, ease of access, et cetera. And you add up all these totals, and the docs feel like they're, they're buying into the decision. And the nice scores you see here is uh, the good news. They like both. But boy, if these two numbers are skewed, you know what vendor you've got to go with. <clears throat> now, big question, and Frank, I'll let you lead this one up. Is uh, Athena going to well, pull sure, it off? Yeah. Sooner or later, you're going to see uh, one or more of these vendors and others stand up and say, mission accomplished. <laughs> so, uh, we need to look at, we need to look at uh, will the mission really be accomplished? And uh, some of the pros and cons, the things that we see on the surface today, uh, looking at Athena Health, uh, obviously this company has pockets. Uh, Jonathan will invest whatever it takes to build an HIS. Uh, and I put in parentheses after that, as long as Wall Street will fund it. So, you know, that's something you got to keep in mind. Uh, you know, will the BD, BIDMC uh, large hospital approach this uh, intellectual property really work out? You know, there's a big risk in there, as we pointed out. Uh, they may be surprised by the complexity of hospitals larger than Razor's uh, community uh, critical care hospitals can handle uh, upgrading or uh, upscaling, if you will. Uh, is always a challenge, as many other vendors have found out, uh, not most recent of which is uh, the Paragon system at McKesson, which I'm sure many of you have heard things about. Uh, may take several years to upscale uh, Razor Insights, and I'd be surprised if it doesn't. Uh, and uh, even more may be necessary to build and commercialize uh, the uh, OMR that they're uh, intellectual property that they're acquiring. And my last uh, assessment, if you will, was based upon uh, what's happened with the history 
that we gave you early on in the presentation, it's going to take more time for money than anyone expects. That is the guaranteed uh, uh, forecast that I can make, Vince. That's definitely. Eclinic Works, I think, Garish equally deep pockets as Jonathan, my gosh, a staggeringly profitable company and far lower cost to have programmers in India, my gosh, a fraction of our salary. So um, <clears throat> that part's great. Thailand's will be a great partner, but I think uh, Garish will learn, wow, you need all that stuff? Just admit a patient? It's amazing, isn't it? <laughs> Uh, we think they'll probably sell many hospitals simply because physicians rule. They go storm into the CEO's office and said, I want you to look at this e-clinical works. The CEO's going to listen. So they'll have tremendous access to hospital C-suites thanks to their huge physician practices. Uh, a hospital revenue cycle management, and good luck. That'll be challenging. That'll take the longer time. Uh, the hospitals they have in India are just the clinicals, and I think they'll be um, pretty... Uh, Discouraged when they see how hard it is to complete all the billing and receivable stuff a hospital needs. And then they start competing with Cerner, Epic, et cetera, CPSI, Meditech, wow. So I agree with Frank. It's going to be a daunting for both of these vendors, but exciting to have them in the, in the mix, uh, make some interesting webinars. Um, so let's move on to uh, questions. Laurie, I don't know if you've received any or <clears throat> have we exceeded our time limit. Nope, we still have time. Um, so we'd like to open it up to the audience for questions. As a reminder, use the question section in the GoToWebinar panel to submit your questions to Vince and Frank. Our first question, um, what's more important when you're buying, the company or the product? Yeah. Good question, whoever submitted that, because um, if you've been paying attention for 22 slides, the company is almost irrelevant. The company changes every couple of years. Look at how many different products every leading vendor has announced uh, and vice versa, merged and acquired with. So the companies come and go like the weather. It's the product you got to look at. Drill down deep into functionality, implementation ability, call client references. Check out the system. Uh, their stock balance sheet on Wall Street, totally irrelevant to a physician trying to click his way through too many alerts. Frank, what would you say about uh, product versus company? Well, uh, it's, it's essentially, uh, you can never depend on a company. Uh, I don't care if it's a big company or a small company. Big companies get acquired, you know, SMS Siemens is a classic example. Uh, small companies uh, get acquired for any number of reasons. Uh, so yeah, you want to you want to be looking at the product. Um, if if it's a, a legacy product, then you probably and you're concerned about act, the company being acquired, then highly it's highly likely that the product won't be around. Um, and if it's a more state of the art product, uh, you know, if something were to happen to that company, the assumption, the reasonable assumption, is that the product would survive because it's it's uh, more uh, state of the art. Yeah, I think that's a good point. A good product is going to survive mergers and acquisitions. If McKesson sells Paragon, the new owners indubitably going to invest heavily in it and continue the successful sales. It's a great product. Um, look at all the people that bought Siemens because they're a giant international corporation that does 100 billion euros a year. And poof, what happened to them last year? Same as IBM back in the 70s. And no one got fired for buying IBM for a certain amount of time. <laughs> then they all got fired for buying IBM. 
Our so, next, Lori, any other questions? Yeah. Um, the next one, even Epic's physician and hospital system is not integrated. Is it? It's difficult to figure out since taking data out of an Epic system is so difficult. Well, you know, I, I would disagree. I think it is as integrated as any are in the standpoint of programming language. It's all written in cache, the same language and database. Runs in the same hardware platform. I think whoever sent that question is thinking the screens look different. Sure, because the workflows are so different in a practice in a hospital. But I believe, well, I, and I'm not a physician, of course, I believe all the data you want is accessible if you know how to click it. Frank? I, I think that maybe the nature of the question is you could you could honestly say all of the data in the epic inpatient system is not available to a doctor and vice versa the, the real question is how much how much do you really need to cross the line the the integration the first thing about the integration gets back to the slide we had early on is what the heck is the definition of integration which is gets back to where we said uh you as a buyer of the system have to define your level of integration that you expect to make your business work and it may be a handful of data elements in one situation. Uh, one uh, ACO may only need a, a, a two pages of data. Uh, another ACO may need 16 pages of data. But you need to define what that is. So when you look at these vendors and they say, I have an integrated system, their level of integration matches your requirements. Now, one of the things you can say about Epic that is truly unique is the patient identifier that Epic uses across all those systems is the same patient identifier. There's no question that John Jones at the doctor's office is the same John Jones that gets admitted to the hospital. Whereas other vendors who have tried to uh, do this through acquisition, if you will, one of the biggest problems they have getting at ground zero of integration is how do I identify the patients across the systems, a unique patient identifier, which, by the way, is illegal. Uh, CMS has, was told in the original HIPAA regulations of 1996, you will not mandate a unique patient identifier because of privacy, security, and all the other uh, rationales given to do that. So even CMS cannot tell in, meaning, in, the, in the certification and meaningful use process, you must have a unique patient identifier, which is really an interesting discussion for another seminar. <laughs> but. Interesting. Um, Laurie, any other? Yeah. Hank, who's an attorney, I'll note, wants to know if you recommend providers approach and view a new procurement as an ongoing change, long-term IT services outsourcing deal rather than a static product purchase in order to deal with the predictable changes in features, hardware, maybe software, uh, license regulations. Hmm. Well, interesting question, Hank, for an attorney. Thank you. Um, I would say outsourcing is simply a great way for vendors to make more money. They run your IT shop. They put all those payroll expenses into their income, and they suddenly look a lot better to Wall Street. But you lose all control of your IT department. So I'm no advocate of outsourcing, and I would not recommend it. It only makes sense if you're a, a have a very poor IT department and you've got to totally redo it, uh, maybe a temporary outsource until you get back on your own two feet, but running your own shop makes a lot more sense. I would not sell an internal department to an outside vendor and be relying upon them to run something so critical to your hospital or practice as your uh, information systems. I would I make it a product, a product purchase, not a uh, service purchase. Go ahead, Frank. My understanding of the question is along the lines of 
can you contractually build in change requirements for changing technologies, changing uh, platforms, changing regulations? And you know, historically, that's been almost impossible to do, with the exception of the regulation piece. You clearly should have a contract that's written so that the so that the buyer uh, is covered as regulations change. Now, you know, who would have predicted meaningful use uh, in in the year 2006 or seven or whatever? Uh, when you were buying a system. So uh, it's a tough situation for a vendor because if you've got a contract that says you're going to keep up with the regs, uh, I mean, that contract's going to be 14 pages long as to what is and isn't the change in the regs. And so you should have it. There's no question about it. It's a difficult one to really cover. Uh, I don't think you can write a contract that says the vendor is going to keep his software, you know, state of the art or whatever. So that's just my under, uh, take on the question. I know, Mr. Irrelevant, if you outsource or, or insource, you're going to have the same exposure for any new regulatory. What vendors do with regulations is turn them into revenue. You write a new product, you change the name of an old one, you charge for it, and you sell more. And that's called capitalism. That's how we work. It ain't going to go away. <laughs> Jeff would like to know um, if the web-based delivery model Athena Health and eClinical Works uses will be beyond the comfort zone of larger hospital CIOs. Yeah, interesting point again, I guess. Uh, if you're running a big in-house operation, you're doing it well, uh, you've got a good operations center, a good computer room, good backups and all, yeah, it would make you very nervous and I'd be nervous too. If you're on remote hosting already with so many vendors, I mean, even Epic, Judy's built in a gigantic data center in Verona and going to start offering uh, remote hosting. Um, I hear Meditech maybe looking at the same option in the near future. So almost every vendor is considering it for revenue purposes. Nothing to do with improved service or anything in that um, I your data is down third-party's hands. Vince, I think the concern would be more with I've got a big uh, complex operation here. And if I'm running it on a cloud, am I really going to get the response times that I, that I really need? Uh, and if the Athenas and the eClinical Works and so on can address that adequately, then I think they can assuage the fears of the CIO. Uh, to me, that would be his number one concern is, is throughput when everything's up in the cloud. And I think as history has shown us, a total cloud solution is never the perfect solution, uh, and a total in-house solution isn't either. What you wind up with, particularly in larger settings, is a hybrid. Hmm. Now, one new thing came up oh, just last year, Frank. We had a 200-bed hospital. We're running on a large vendor, remote hosting, and the CNO asked me a stunning question. I was utterly stumped. How are we going to get all the historical EMR archive data into this new computer system? I'd honestly not thought about it because if you're remote hosted, it is a staggeringly amount, large amount of data and the vendor's proprietary rights how those fields relate and how it's programmed. And as we research it, it's become a darn industry. The wise vendors now sell that as an archival product and charge you know, a hefty amount of money for access to it. And a number of quote consulting end quote firms have become IT vendors. They now offer products. And a lot of startups are doing it too. So if you go to the cloud, you know, which is where your head's at, if you don't call it a shared system, if you go to the cloud, consider when you make your next change how you're ever going to get that data back without being ripped off large sums of money. Whereas an in-house system, you got the data, you, got, you can convert it any way you want. So it's an interesting thought we just learned last year for the first time. 
Troy would like to know how many years you believe it will be before either company has a hospital product that's truly functional. <laughs> that's why we well, did okay, this on April Fool's Day. Vince, I got the answer. <laughs> and the answer's in the history. It took oh? Siemens with Sorian 10 years to write Sorian. And think about this for a second. Siemens SMS had a, had a 20, what, 30-year history in that world before they mm -hmm. started the rewrite, and it took them 10 years and $100 million, okay? McKesson <laughs> had a long history in the HIS world before they started Paragon, okay? And how many years did it take McKesson to build Paragon? I think it's at least six or seven. I don't know the exact number. And how yeah, many around. million dollars? Yeah. The only thing I would add is the advantage that um, uh, Athena Health has is they're buying a fully developed product from Razor Insights for critical access houses. For little tiny guys, they've got a pretty good system. For mid-size like Tidelands, it's going to be challenging to upscale, but at least they're starting from something. And eClinicalWorks claims to have their EMR running in these 80 India hospitals, so they've learned something too. The, 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 I guess the sadness is both can learn how very, very hard it is to finish the job upscale their products and do all these applications. And that's where I go with Frank's many, many years. And with luck, I'll at be retired. One, I won't have to face anything. At least, at least three. Before you have a truly <laughs> functional product that can do all the things that it needs to do. So, Laurie, let's schedule a webinar for 2019. <laughs> Check let's Frank out. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Uh, Malcolm would like to know, for these new vendors, is the real market the smaller hospitals and not the Cerner or Epic level hospitals? Well, yeah, as, as we showed in the slide, Razor Insights has 20 critical access, and that's where they're going to start. Uh, so Athena will gradually raise it up. The Tideland deal was quite a surprise for a 200-bed hospital to sign up to be their partner. So I guess they're going to modify and expand on Razor a lot. But I would say they're going to start selling the critical access and slowly try to up it, just like NextGen did. And they'll probably learn, just like NextGen did, how hard it is to upscale. I doubt if they'll ever get to Epic or Cerner size. I mean, that's almost terrifying to think of how many tens of years it takes to get that level of complexity. And clinical works, don't know the size of these India hospitals, but I think um, they'll probably go with uh, whatever hospital their physician, be it large, medium, or small. Frank, what I would think, you say? Yeah, in terms of the question of, of what, what is that market, uh, look like is that a good market in that smaller market uh, having been in the smaller market uh, years ago up to my ears uh, there's the plus in that market today is there's a fair amount of turnover in, in vendors uh, you've got vendors such as health land and some of the others that that have been you know losing clients they've had some problems uh, Meditech has actually lost a client and so on so there's been some turnover there um, and uh, so that makes for opportunities to obviously sell into that marketplace. Now, the negative side about that market is a lot of that market, you have a lot of hospitals that are closing that are in that small scale. And a lot of those smaller facilities and even the mid-sized facilities are being acquired by an ACO. And if the ACO is running Cerner, that's what's going into that smaller facility or Epic or whatever it might be. So if you're a vendor in that end of the market, uh, you're not just competing with uh, uh, all the other CPSIs and so on and so forth. I mean, you're competing against the big hospital and whatever the heck his vendor is. Uh, because I think as we said in other webinars we've done, 
you know, Epic's strategy in putting their software into a smaller hospital is there's no upfront cost. There's no capital investment. You just pay by the seat. So you want 50 seats in a small hospital, you buy 50 seats and off you go. So, I mean, that's my take on that market. Okay. We'll ask one more question since we're running over. Um, Athena is offering their hospital package in a bundled offering with taking over the hospital billing. What are your thoughts about that? Well, this is going to scare the heck out of me. <laughs> they do it very well in the physician practice because they know that niche so well. They know all the Medicare 1500 fields and how to play with the OBs and all that stuff. But they haven't seen a UB in a hospital, and I'd be terrified to have them take over a hospital business office at first. Let five or ten other ones pilot it and somehow survive the AR spike. And then once they've learned what they're going to learn, then you jump in as the 11th or 12th. But I sure wouldn't be one of the first. I would, I would say, generally speaking, that is a good strategy. Uh, but implementing that strategy from ground zero without a track record and actually managing and running uh, business offices and, and hospitals uh, is going to be a tough, a tough hill to climb. And my advice to Athena, if they're serious about that, is buy an existing outsourced company that knows what they're doing. Which, um, which actually they did. I guess with the, didn't they pick up? Um, Who they pick up uh, as part of that deal with Razor? I forget the name of that outfit. Um, there is a big outsourced piece to that. Uh, so if, if they can take that outsource organization uh, and move it into those facilities, then that's a good strategy. I may be, I may be confusing this with somebody else, but I thought there was... Yeah, I think I, you're thinking of evident buying health plan that had right, a large right. revenue cycle wrong, component. Wrong. You're right. Yeah, uh, I don't think Razor had a piece. Right. You're right. And, and I go back to what I started saying, which is they better buy an, a good outsource company if that is their strategy, which could be a good strategy. All right. That will have to be our last question since we're running over. I want to thank everyone for joining us today. And thank you, Frank and Vince, for another fun, interesting presentation. It's always a pleasure to moderate your webinars. Uh, attendees, watch your email for links to the recording of today's webinar, as well as the PDF version of the PowerPoint presentation. We look forward to seeing you at our next HIS Talk webinar. And I hope you all have a terrific weekend.